0: Danielle. Hey, Robert. How you doing? Hold on one second. It's been one of those days, you know? (laughs) Oh, Lord. Now what's it doing? Good to hear, good to hear. Great, now I froze everything. Oh, goodness gracious. Give me one second, guys. Why am I not live here? People are sleeping. Yeah, well, I can't help it. (laughs) Sometimes you just have technical difficulties. Other times, I don't know. (laughs) But it's par for the course. It's par for the show. That's how it usually rolls. Come on. Why won't she let you finish your tulip? Hey Sophie, how you doing, hon? How you doing? Very cool, Robert. Very cool. I played a bass before, one time. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a drummer. I'm not a bassist. Okay, is that what I want? That's what I want. Yes. Okay, here we go. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm sure it looks fine, Danielle. I'm sure it looks fine. So, while well, I'm trying, I'm figuring out why my other channel, trying to figure out why my other channel's not coming up. But what are you gonna do? I guess. Um. I have two, I don't know what's going on with the YouTube and OBS and Restream and it's, apparently they're not all communicating. Apparently they <laughs> at each other for some reason, I don't know. So let me just get this up there and then we'll go ahead and start. Any day now. There we go. Paste. There we go. Hopefully that works. My D Live is still not going, but what am I gonna do? Who the hell knows? All right. That's right, Danielle. That's how you got your drumming skills. Hey Meg, how you doing? Well, it's not the YouTube that's messing up. Well, it is, but it's not. Um, it's my DLive that's messing up. Well, technically, my Restream's messing up. But what are you going to do? Okay, first off, um, in the Discord, Sophie, you brought up the, the Area 20, or the Area. Area 51, right? Man. And what she was talking about, she, last time we went live, what she was talking about was the color that came up on our, the Art Bell Show, well, Coast to Coast. And I found out some interesting, I had put it in the, can we move this over? Apparently not. Just nothing is going to work today. It's going to, my chat's going to be in my way. Um, I put it in the Discord, and if anybody wants to join the Discord, it's down below in the links. Um, so let me go ahead and get started. This was the, not that, this was the video she was talking about, um,
1: uh, time. Um, well, hello, Art? Yes. Hi. Um, I, 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 I don't have a whole lot of, uh, time. Um, well, look,
2: look let's begin yeah. by finding out whether you're using this line Can you hear that okay? Uh, Area
1: 51. Um, yeah, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? Uh, I. A former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and... And I, I've kind of been running across the country. Um, oh man, I don't know where to start. They're uh, they're, they're gonna um will triangulate on this position really really soon. So um, you can't spend a lot
2: of time on the phone. So give us something quick.
1: Okay. Um. Um. Okay. What what we're thinking of as as aliens aren't they're. Uh, they're they're extra-dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the, um, the space program made contact with. Uh, they they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment, particularly the area fifty one uh, the, the disasters that are coming they the, the military i'm sorry the, the government knows about them and there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now art. But they're not doing they're not doing anything. They are not. They want the major population centers wiped out <laughs> so that the the few that are left will be more easily controllable.
2: Discharge. <laughs>
0: So it goes on. Um. The government, or.
2: I don't know. It has to be something, though. Well, did you hear. Now, you tell me because you were listening. That was awful strange. There was a really weird guy on the air when it went off? Yeah. Real weird out. Like uh, going sort of sort of sounding paranoid? Yeah. Like crying and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And how far into the conversation was it when when it went off? Just a couple, about 15, 20 seconds, I'd say. Oh, you you, you guys missed, you, you really missed a the call then, and I've got a feeling somebody didn't want you to hear it. Yeah, because <laughs> um, it was really strange. All of a sudden, I'm hearing Mark Furman, and when I went right. out, well, the network, the network, of course, went immediately to a backup tape while we tried to figure out what blew up here. Uh huh. So that's what you heard happen. Uh huh. And then we're now on a backup link system. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To be on the air at all right now. So, well, I'm telling you, it's on the lost all transmit capability on this end here in Nevada. The transmitter went belly up suddenly for some unknown reason i've never seen it do this in all the years all the years that we've been on the air i have never seen the transmitter in this way just simply fail a massively fail like a massive heart attack or some kind and so we have gone to a backup system to get the signal to you right
0: okay so they had to go to a backup system i you know what's funny is I vaguely remember that, but I'm not sure if I'm remembering the right thing. Cause I used to listen to Coast to Coast all the time, um, just about every night um, that it came on. And the thing of it is, is I, I vaguely remember this, right? Now, I did some digging because Sophie, yeah, Sophie said I wanted to tell you about those as she found it so crazy and intriguing. So, I did some digging, and apparently, the portion of it that you hear with the guy talking, that's all made up. Art didn't know anything about it. Um, his name is Brian Brian Glass, and he's a comic book um, creator. And he made up that character and called into the Art Bell show. Now, like I said, Art didn't know. But the fascinating thing about that is when he did call in, like the whole satellite going down and the phone lines going down, that's the truth. That actually (laughs) happened. But talk about your timing. Now, he explains he was on Fade to Black um, obviously, September 9, 2014, talking about it. I had another interview with him because he plays the tapes and that, and I don't know where it went, as usual.
1: Wanted to be killed. And I spent that whole evening.
2: Thank you, everybody, for calling in. I've got a, another 20 calls backed up behind you. So let's just okay. keep, keep it going. Everybody, Thanks, Jimmy. have a great night.
1: Bye.
0: All right, hold on one
1: second.
2: Um, now, <laughs> I the reason why. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for that, and and I gotta tell you that even though I knew what was going on and I was in on it, you were freaking me out, man. <laughs>
1: you were, oh, Thank you. You
2: were freaking me out.
1: <laughs> thank you very much.
2: I was thinking, uh, you know, okay, you know what. There are a bunch of calls coming in right now. You know what? Let's just see what people have to say. Let's go.
0: Yeah. I have the – here's the interview with Brian. If anybody wants to hear it, I'll put it in the link in chat. But I I will say it's kind of funny that – Um, oh, it's not going to let me because it's a search. Well, if you just – if you um, – Just type in Area 51 Brian J.L. Glass, and uh, you'll find it out there. But he talks about it and everything. Now, like I said, the phone line's going down. That wasn't part of it. (laughs) That actually happened, and that's what freaked um, Art Bell out. You know, and everybody else, because we didn't hear half of the phone call. When it was going live, we didn't hear half of it. Like, he said that he was, I was listening to the, the other thing that I found, and he said that uh he was throwing stuff around, you know, breaking stuff, and, like, people were coming after him in that second and everything. We didn't get to hear that <laughs> because the satellites went out um that's what art was talking about when he's like when did it cut off and the guy was like you know that you were talking to that crazy guy blah 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 and he's like oh you didn't hear half of it you know so do i still sound robotic oh i believe aliens exist too robert we're just sophia just bring that, brought this up in the discord and uh or last time I was live and I wanted to look into it and see what I, I could find. So yeah. Pretty interesting though that we didn't hear happen to call. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like he um what I was listening to he played tapes where he was calling up his best friend saying, "Hey Gina, how are you? Thank you." I got a diet again. It's a lot of grays. <laughs> yeah, aliens were shutting them down. That's right, probably. Um, but, yeah, so it's very cool when somebody brings stuff up like that and I can go search it out and everything. So there you go. There's your answer, Sophie. And if anybody else, if you want to join the discard and head over there and, you know, want me to talk about a certain thing that, uh, you know, I'll look into it. So let's get on with the stories today. The first story we have is the the peculiar death of Christopher Case. So, in April of 1991, a man named Christopher Case was found dead in his apartment after a week of telling friends that something was trying to kill him. Did he literally scare himself to death? Or was his passing the result of a terrifying curse? Now, Christopher Case was a small-town radio DJ who had grown up in Richmond, Virginia. He was a well-rounded individual, intelligent, sophisticated, an absolute fitness zealot who took vitamin supplements daily and exercised re- re- religiously can't talk, as per usual. He was in his thirties. He decided to move out west to Seattle in Washington State to start a new career in a, as a music executive. He worked for the muzak Holdings Company, producing the soft music heard in lifts and waiting rooms and all over the world. Did I say discard? I meant discord. (laughs) Now, Chris was a popular young man. He made good friends in his new role and still managed to keep in regular contact with old friends back in Richmond. But despite this, he was a bit of a loner and he remained single for many years. This is not strange in itself. His job required him to travel all over the United States, and he had a real passion for music, particularly compositions of the ancient world. Chris's idea of a good time was sitting at home listening to his favorite tracks rather than going out to socialize of the evening, you know. He'd rather sit home and listen to his stuff. He found solace in the arrangements of notes and harmonies rather than in the company of others. He didn't want for much. He didn't bother other people and in return people didn't bother him. And it's for this reason that nobody knew him as ever being able to understand the week of summer of nineteen ninety nine in which he had an ultimately it ultimately ended in tragedy. On the morning of Thursday, April 18th, Chris was found dead in his apartment with no sign of struggle having taken place or forced entry. His body was discovered fully clothed, sitting inside his empty bathtub in a kneeling position with his hands resting against the wall. It appeared as though he had simply fallen asleep and passed away. But when the police officers searched the residence, they found multiple multitude of crucifixes books on the occult and saw that salt had been poured in the entrance to his home and along every single skirting board against his apartment they also heard religious music playing in the quietly in number rooms at the scene the coroner was able to determine that mr case had died of heart failure he was just 35 year old 35 years old well, the circumstances surrounding Chris's death and the state of which his apartment had been found were indeed odd, to say the least. The story, which trans- transpired over the following months of the investigation, like something straight out of a paranormal thriller. And I realized I was not sharing my screen. I'm sorry, guys. Usually I let you guys read along with me. A Sinister Twist Shortly after his passing, friends reported that in the days leading to his death, Chris had called them in a panic on numerous occasions, saying that something was after him and that he feared for his life. He told friends that he was certain he would be dead before the end of the week. Yeah, scared to death. Thank you, Robert, for confirming that. Um, This baffled authorities. And with that, what was originally thought to have been death by natural causes would have taken a much more sinister twist. After weeks of looking into the case, investigators discover a very chilling side of this story. As it turns out, on April 11th, seven days before his death, Chris had embarked on a business trip to San Francisco, meeting with other executives within the music industry. At some point during his visit, he had been introduced to an older woman who shared his passion for music of the ancient world, particularly that of Egypt and other Mediterranean civilizations. Now, they seemed to have a lot in common, and their conversation progressed, and it became clear to Chris that this woman wished to pursue a romantic relationship with him. She made it no secret of her feelings and asked him to take her home on more than one occasion. Being a man of integrity, he politely declined these requests. She was an attractive lady, but her intensity had unnerved the young executive. Might be Danielle because I just woke up. (laughs) This coupled with the fact that she is at least 20 years his senior, and it led Chris to suggest that they call it a night and go their separate ways. But this only seemed to anger her. Hey, Jimbo. What's up? She put a spell on it. You never know. She felt the full force of his rejection and then said said something strange. She told him that she was a witch. Great, great. And that she put a curse on him and that he would be sorry. She told him that he would be dead within a week. Well, there you have it. Power of suggestion. All in a witch's name. (laughs) Oh, really, when I share the screen? That's weird. Who knows? It's been a weird day. I had problems going live as it was. (laughs) So if it gets worse, just let me know. Can you deal with it, or? Chris, who thought of himself as a rational individual simply suggested this off. He did not believe in the paranormal or supernatural, and he was not religious in any sense of the word. So he disregarded her threats and traveled back to Seattle the next day. He would relate the tale to his friend Sammy upon his return, and who would also dismiss it as the same supposed rationality. And certainly, at least for the first few days after his return home, He completely forgot about the whole incident. However, on the morning of the 14th, Chris Chris called Sammy in a panic,
1: saying that he had been
0: kept awake all night by the sound of a whispering voice coming from somewhere inside his home. Though he couldn't find the source, he would also go on to say, how he had seen shadows moving across his apartment, even though he was the only one there and that he felt like he was being watched during the night.
1: This conversation would be the first
0: of three frantic phone calls that Chris would make to Sammy over the next few days. On the 16th, he called to tell her that something had attacked him during the night. He had woken to find himself paralyzed, being throttled by unseen hands. The attack was particularly intense and violent, and the force of it lifting him off his mattress before releasing him and throwing him back into his bed. Afterwards, he had noticed tiny cuts on the ends of each of his fingers, and that his bed sheets were stained with his blood. Hey, easily distracted, how are you, hon? Welcome, welcome. This instance proved to be too much. And on the morning after, he visited a religious bookstore called Evangel Evangel Incorporated. The store manager, Rodney, described how Chris had entered the store, walked over to one of the displays, and picked up a handful of crucifixes. He asked him how he intended to use them, and Chris told him what he believed to be true of the matter. He was being attacked by a paranormal entity and that he needed to defend himself. Rodney assisted as his best, as best as he could, and recommended a number of books on the subject of fighting witchcraft. Between his visits to the bookstore and his calls um, to his concerned friends, Chris began a determined effort to fend off whatever mysterious forces had been tormenting him, and by the afternoon of the sixteenth the battle lines had been drawn. He had placed a number of crucifixes around his home, which were um, interspersed with candles, and he had poured lines of salt along the extremities of each room, leaving small piles in each corner. He had also written many notes on methods of combating evil spirits, which were scattered throughout his apartment. It had been less than a week since his meeting with this strange woman, but Chris was a changed man, barely recognizable compared to be compared to the confident, rational young executive he had only been days before. This was an obsessed individual, determined to point determined to the point of being detrimental to his health. He wasn't sleeping. He hadn't shown up for work in two days. He called other friends besides Sammy and they would describe how he could hear how in his voice they could hear how f- afraid he was. And unfortunately for Chris, the evening of the 16th would be the most harrowing experience to date. It's not exactly clear what happened during the course of the night, but something frightening frightened him so much that he left his home during the early hours of the morning and stayed at a hotel. Because of this, Sammy could not get through. The um, Sammy could not get through to him the next morning. Her only recourse was to call local police department and ask them to do a welfare check on Chris's property. Upon arrival, they found the premises locked and were unable to get access. They left the scene and reported their findings back to the concerned Sammy. Now living on the other side of the country, she felt distraught and helpless. And what else could she do? She had no other choice but to wait to hear from Chris. That evening, she came home to find a message stored on her answer machine. Little did she know at that moment but this would be the last time she ever heard from her friend. To her surprise, there was an eerie calm to the young man's voice, almost as he have, had reassigned himself to his fate. In this message, he spoke about how they had almost gotten him the night before and that he believed this would be his last night on earth. Sammy wouldn't be the only person to hear from Chris that day, however. He had also visited a Catholic priest in the afternoon, and later he had returned to the bookstore, the Catholic bookstore there, on this occasion, Rodney described how Chris had looked exhausted but desperate, and that he needed he had to ask for more advice on how to defend himself, which the store manager was only happy to provide. Despite despite Chris's best efforts, he would lose his life on that night, april seventeenth, nineteen ninety one. Myocarditis is listed as the official cause of death in the coroner's report. A sudden and seemingly inexplainable stopping of the heart. What happened to Chris? So did Christopher Case somehow manage to convince himself that he had been cursed and literally scare himself to death? Or was there something more mysterious and sinister at work? Of course, the jury is still out, even after all this time. Myocarditis, I know I'm saying that, is rare, but potentially deadly disease affecting one in every 100,000 people. It's not hereditary and therefore not based on one's genetics. It can afflict anyone at any time, but most commonly occur between the ages of 20 and 40. It's not unheard of for it to strike young men and women who are otherwise fit and healthy, And, in fact, it has been the cause of many sudden deaths in young athletes around the world. Some medical experts have suggested that there's a link between the disease and man-made supplements, such as vitamins or steroids, which they believe could aggravate an existing condition. However, close friends and relatives of Mr. Case, oh, with this in mind, it's important to remember that Christopher Case was a fitness enthusiast. He went to the gym to exercise daily, and he also took vitamin supplements. And at the age of 35, he was well within the scope of being affected by this disease. However, close friends and relatives of Mr. Case are not so quickly to just accept the possibilities that he had died of natural causes. First of all, there are a variety of other symptoms which usually manifest in sufferers. Such as like chest pain, difficulty breathing, general fatigue. Furthermore, before a fatal attack such as this, the sufferer will usually display flu-like symptoms in the weeks leading up to their death. Chris experienced none of these things. He was otherwise fit and healthy young man, and a top with a top-notch immune system. Yeah, I agree, Meg. She said the uh, the mindset and spell could have been his doom um and then there's a small matter of chris's mental health state during those last five or six days as we have already established he was stable he was a stable individual and not prone to such flights of fancy regarding the paranormal so why did he suddenly and inexplicably change it is a real possibility for someone to go from being a sane, rational young man one day only to change to a desperate and obsessed wreck of a man the next an It absolutely makes no sense. Finally we are forced the fate fa- Finally we are faced with the fact that Chris knew he was going to die. He predicted it with an alarming accuracy, saying that his to his friend Sammy on the 17th and he knew that that would
1: um, be the
0: last night. What are the chances of an otherwise fit, unhealthy, or healthy and mentally stable young man dying of natural causes after a week of saying to friends that he feared for his life? One does have to wonder whether or not there is more that meets the eye. But whatever happened during that week back in April 1991, Chris truly believed that he was being haunted and ultimately haunted by something utterly sinister and horrific enough to literally scare him to death. After days of being tormented and tortured by hands of who knows what, he finally succumbed to his fears and left behind a tantalizing mystery, one which will probably never be solved. To many, or you may be wondering why police never followed up on the identity of this woman who supposedly be put a curse on him. But his death was never seen as suspicious, so it did not warrant that kind of investigation. Besides, Chris took her name with him to his grave. Whether he died of a terrifying curse or whether it was simply all in his head, this case has No less heartbreaking for those who was close to Chris. We can only hope that he rests in peace. Pretty crazy, right? What do you guys think? What do you think he succumbed to? Honestly. Do you think he was scared to death? Or do you think he just deteriorated that fast? What do you guys think? Um, makes both ideas seem right. Wild Dreams with Jimbo. There's a lot of Art Bell replay full episodes. Oh, yeah. I listen to them all the time. I, matter of fact, on my, that's one of the main notifications I do get is Coast to Coast uh, replays on YouTube. <laughs> that's the one notification that works. You think the evil got to him, Meg? or mysteries, sorry. I told you I would forget. <laughs> I I did say I would forget. Do so you think the evil got to him? It's crazy. It's a crazy story. And I want to know what's wrong with this woman. Like, why, why the hell would she... What if he made that up? mind games think the mind games got them it's crazy whatever it is it's nuts i mean really man how sad you have to put what kind of witches are out there man i mean i'm i'm a witch but i would never think to do that to somebody because they wouldn't have romantic ways with me oh i'm gonna put a curse on you why (laughs) I mean, really. Crazy. So, our next story comes from the year 2013. No, I'm actually a gray witch. Um, Sophie. I am an eclectic solitaire gray witch. Which means I know black magic. I know white magic. Um doesn't mean i use them all the time you know but i know them i'm well versed i've been on my path since i was 16 so um and eclectic just means that i take different pieces from different religious aspects of it if you would and um i mine is my own path put it that way i'm not wiccan i'm not pagan i'm not you know i'm just a witch And like my studies of that stuff didn't all come from just being a witch. It's just I'm a researcher. That's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, our next story comes from the year 2013. Um, and it's about a college student, Bryce Lespisa. Lespisa. Hopefully I'm saying that right. He had told his mother, basically, they had a lot to talk about when he got home, and then he began driving home. So on the evening of August 18th, 28, 2013, Karen and Mike Lespiza received a phone call from their son, right? Letting him know that he was driving down to their home in Laguna Niguel, California. Lespiza was 19 and recently started his sophomore year at Syria College in Rockland, California. He was studying industrial and graphic design, and the Lespias had moved to California from Illinois in 2012 following Bryce's high school graduation. According to Karen, she offered to fly up to see her son who had just broken up with his girlfriend. However, he told his mother not to make a flight reservation until they had a chance to talk. He added, I have a lot to talk about. Karen would never find out what her son wanted to discuss. La Spisa is ran out of gas near the town of Buttonwillow in South, Southern California. Laspisa's parents had spoken with him around 11.30 p.m. and thought he was heading back to his apartment in Rockland, which would have been around a 90-minute drive from his girlfriend's place. However, they received a phone call from their insurance company that following morning when someone had requested roadside assistance using their account. When Karen called Bryce's roommate, Sean Dixon, he informed Karen that Laspisa hadn't come home that evening. Investigators later learned that Laspisa had started driving down to his parents' home after leaving his girlfriend's apartment. The drive to his parents should have taken Laspisa around eight hours, but he ran out of gas less than 200 miles north of Lagina Niguel outside the town of Buttonwillow near Bakersfield. A cor- um Spisa <laughs> was reportedly close to rest stop and called roadside assistance around 9 a.m., meaning he had already been driving for over nine hours. An attendant bought Les three gallons of gas, but Les did not immediately continue his trip. After repeating attempts to contact her son, Karen called the shop that had serviced La car, for more information. The attendant, Christian, offered to check and make sure Lespeza had left the rest stop. About 15 minutes later, Karen reportedly received a call from Christian telling her that Lespeza was still parked in the same spot he'd been in three hours earlier when Christian dropped him off gas. At this time, Karen said she was able to speak to her son and Lespeza told her that he had just been getting some sleep and would be on his way. Karen and Mike assumed their son would arrive in Laguna Niguel about 3 p.m. on the 29th. But by 3.30 p.m. he still hadn't arrived and it w- he wasn't answering his phone. By 6 p.m. Karen and Mike had filed a missing persons report with the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Police subsequently found Lapisa only eight miles from the rest stop he had been at for at least nine hours. Police reportedly conducted a sobriety test and searched Lapisa's car but there was no evidence of drugs or alcohol. Lapisa told officers that he was on his way to Laguna Nigel to hang out with friends and blow off steam. One officer told Lapisa to call his mother and it was at this point Karen said she asked him to keep his phone on. Lispisa and his parents would stay in contact for several more hours before he disappeared. When Lispisa again stopped answering his phone, Mike and Karen contacted Christian, who offered to check on her son. As it turned out, Lispisa was still near the spot where police had found him hours before. This was approximately 10 p.m. on August 29th, a full 13 hours since Laspisa had first called for gas.
1: Christian substantially
0: followed Laspisa to make sure he got back to the highway and drove behind him for about 10 miles. Karen and Mike stayed on the phone with Bryce throughout most of his drive, asking for updates on his location. However, Laspisa apparently couldn't give him any clear answer. He told his parents that, he, that there weren't any signs and he wasn't even sure where he was. He told them that his GPS navigation indicated he would arrive home at 3.25 a.m. on the 30th. According to Karen and Mike Lespiza, they spoke with their son one last time at 2.09 a.m. on August 30th. Lespiza's location was still unclear but he told his mother that he was too tired to keep driving, so he decided to pull off to, si- off to the side and sleep for a few hours.
1: Lispisa had been on the road for 24
0: to 27 hours by that point,
1: and his parents agreed that they should sleep for,
0: that he should sleep for a while. Around 8 a.m. that morning, a CHIP officer arrived at Lispisa's home to give them some disturbing news. They found Bryce's car, but he was missing. Castiak Lake sits roughly two hours north of Laguna Nigel, and it's where police found Lopez's 2003 Toyota Highlander around 5.30 a.m. on August 30th. The SUV was laying on its side in a ravine, and the investigators determined that the car had driven off a 25-foot embankment. Some reports also posted that the vehicle accelerated as it drove down the embankment, indicating that La was in control of the vehicle. It eventually crashed bumper-first into the ravine before rolling onto its side. Despite the severity of the crash, only two drops of blood were found in the Toyota. The back window had been broken out and investigators suspect death where La exited the vehicle. He left behind his phone, his laptop, wallet, and other and all his other personal belongings. Hundreds of sheriff's deputies searched the two hundred or two thousand two hundred acre Kestick lake and surrounding eleven thousand acre park following the discovery of Lapiz's car, but there was no sign of him. Cadaver dogs were also unable to trace his scent. Dive crews spent days searching the lake, and helicopters circled the area. There was still no trace of the team. In a bizarre twist, a burnt body was found by Castile Lake just days after La Spisa disappeared. Forensic testing later revealed that the remains did not belong to Bryce. And in 2015, the Lapisas conducted their own search of Castiac Lake with the help of a professional investigators. Karen told the Chicago Tribune we hired a sonar boat that searched for 2 days and did not find any human remains. Our private investigator had a drone operator searching the north the area north of the boat launch access road and nothing was found. Despite Lopez's telling his parents that he pulled over to sleep at 2000 uh, at 209 a.m. Surveillance footage showed him driving down the access roads to Castique Lake at 2.30 a.m. Except approximately two hours later at 4.29 a.m., the same camera photographed Lapisa's car again. Investigators later theorized that Lapisa must be contemplating something as he drove back and forth along the road for two hours. His crashed Toyota Highlander was found only an hour later, and LaPiza was nowhere in sight. Now, Lapisa's girlfriend, Kim Sly, and his roommate, Sean Dixon, both stated that Bryce hadn't been himself in the days leading up to disappearance. Dixon noted that LaPiza was drinking excessively and it had also used the ADH medication, Vivanese so he could stay up all night playing video games. And according to Dixon, Lupisa had also been given away personal items, including an Xbox and a pair of diamond earrings his mother had gifted him. Kim said she, in the past that Lupisa had broke up with her over text, saying that she'd be better off without him. Sly so noted in the interview that she had run through every scenario about what led to Lupisa's disappearance. Sly had allegedly also taken Lopez's keys away from him the night that he was at her apartment, but eventually gave them back at his parents' request. Investigators and Lopiz's have wondered if Bryce could have some sort of psychotic break at the result of abusing medic- medications and alcohol, which could have explained his odd behavior in the days leading up to August 30th's car crash. In early October 2013, just over a month after LaPiza's disappeared, sightings of him were reported in Oregon. A police officer in the town of Port Orford claimed that he had seen LaPiza, but wasn't aware of the teen's missing person status. LaPiza's family was also told the press that there were additional sightings of him in the area, but they remained unconfirmed. His uncle, Brian David, commented at the time how difficult it was for family to hear about the sightings. David said the interview, we'd get, we'd get the word of the possible sighting, and you know, it brings, brings you way up. And then you find out, oh, it's not Bryce, and it brings you way down. The sightings in Oregon began just days after authorities suspended the official search for La Pisa, but no positive IDs were ever made. It's crazy. I know, right? The mind is a powerful thing, Robert. You're so right. Sophie said, find it funny that his girlfriend's name is Sly. I know. What a weird last name. So Detective Robert Martindale, the LAPD, was the lead investigator on Bryce Lopez's case, and he believed that the teen decided to walk away from his life. In an investigation discovery interview, Martindale n- noted that the bloodhounds were brought to cast a lake and quickly picked up on Lapisa's scent, the dogs followed the scent across the dam and eventually to a truck stop before losing it. Martindale theorized that lapisa may have gotten a ride from a trucker. However, lapisa's parents remain unconvinced that he was willing; to, he would have willingly disappeared, and that they even considered the possibility that he suffered a brain injury following the crash. Detective Martindale has stated that the answer to LaPisa's disappearance likely has to do with whatever he wanted to discuss with his mother. And I think that, too. I think, it, you know, reading that, first of all, you feel sorry for both the family and the kid, you know, for Bryce. Um, In my mind, if he was telling his girlfriend, um, you'd be better off with somebody else, you know, most likely he didn't want to be in that life anymore. And he was giving things away. That's a sure sign that somebody wants to end their life. And, you know, but hopefully, I mean, hopefully his life didn't end and he just went on living as somebody else, you know. What do you guys think? Especially if there was a lot of, you know, sightings in Oregon of him. I have one hair that wants to... Wants to go right in the middle of my forehead. Oi. Crazy. But if he was going yeah, if he was going back and forth on that road for a couple hours. Sophie said he was struggling but could not communicate it. So maybe he did something drastic to express it. Very true. Very true. I mean the way the cops say that he was contemplating going back and forth down on those roads, you know right after he talked to his mom. I'm wondering, I mean, we can only speculate, right? That's all we can do. We'll never probably know the answer. But I wonder if he just, he got addicted to the medication and wanted to let his parents know what was going on, wanted to help, but didn't know how to ask for it. You know? I don't know. Something definitely went on with him, though. All right. Enough of the sad... I mean, well, these are weird stories, but... Are you ready? We're going to find... We're going to ask the question ourselves. Is she from another Earth? Or... Did she switch places with a doppelganger? Or... What the hell's going on? Hey, C. Peyton, how are ya? Sophie said, that's why I stopped my mods. Maybe shouldn't have, but I did not want to rely on them. A lot of people do that, Sophie. Yeah. I mean, I don't recommend it. Um, but it, it happens. It happens. Oh, thank you, Jimbo. So here is from a lady. Now, mind you, some things might be uh, not sound quite right. This is because it's translated from Sp- Spanish. Okay. So, with that being said, this woman is needs help. Not needs help in a way of needs help. She is looking for answers. Okay. And I couldn't imagine going through something like this. Are you guys ready? Here we go. She says, uh, Hi, my name is Luz. I'm 41 years old, and I think I've jumped into parallel universe. It's hard for me to tell because everything's going to, everyone's going to think I'm psychotic, and nobody's going to believe me. Please, if someone has a similar experience, write me an email, basically, is what she's saying. One day I woke up, and everything was different. Nothing spectacular or anything to do with time travel and all those things. I just got up in the same year and in the same day that I went to bed, but many things were different. They were small things, but importantly enough to know that at one point, there was a turning point in which things are different. In fact, if this is a dream, you all are in a dream, because
1: this I write does not exist,
0: so if someone responds, they are living the same reality as me, whether it's my dream or not. About four months ago, I woke up a normal morning I was in my rental house where I lived seven years ago. Everything was the same except the set of sheets that were on my bed were different I did not it did not give importance at the time well it was. To my office in my car, that I was parked wherever it was. It was the same office where I've been worked the last twenty years. But when I got to my office, it was not my office. It was the has the names on the door, and mine was not there. I thought I had the wrong plant, but no, it was mine. I went down to the uh, I went down to the wireless area of my office, and I searched. I kept working there, but I was in another department reporting to a director that I did not know. I went to the office that marked the directory and I said, they said I was wrong, so I left. Everything in my wallet was the same my cards, my ID, all the same, but I did not remember changing departments at any time. I went into the insurance department to the insurance doctor, and they tested me for drugs and alcohol. It was all clean. I mean, this you can tell this lady is like in distraught, you know what I mean? Like, I'm getting tested for drugs and alcohol, because I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, I went to the work the next day, asking, saying that I was not well, and I'm getting out of step. My floor is the same, all the same. I've looked at all the papers that I kept or keep in the house, and everything is the same. Shortly after realizing that something strange was happening, I thought it was some kind of like amnesia, that something had happened to me, and I could not remember a time in my life. But no, I went to the Internet, and it was the day it had be, and the news, at least, the important covers were the same as the previous day. I have not been with my seven year old partner for six months. I I think what she's saying is I have not been she was with her partner seven for seven years, but they had broken up six months prior. I left him and started a relationship with a guy from the neighborhood. I know him perfectly. I have been with him for four months, and I know his name, surname, address, where he already works, and a son, who he has, and where he studies. Well, all that does not exist now. It seems it never existed before my jump, or it seemed it existed before my jump, but now there's no trace. I have hired detectives to look for him, and it does not exist in this flat. I went to the psychiatrist. They attribute it to stress. They think I'm hallucinating, but I know it's not. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying at least, you know. <laughs> my ex-boyfriend is with me as if such things. I have never left him, apparently. And Augusta and my, my boyfriend now seems to have never existed here. He does not live on the floor where I lived and or encountered his hojo. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I swear to you that this is real and I'm very sane. My own family, excuse me, my own family does not remember things like an operation on my sister's shoulder a couple months ago. They never had surgery and little things like that. Unfortunately, I do not remember many important things about television news, but the rest of the world seems to be the same. There are many little things in the last five months now. A lot of nonsense, clothes that are in my closet that I have not bought, um, a post on the blog of a radio show I've had with my ex, he's still my boyfriend now, and that i We stopped putting, or that I stopped putting. Please, if someone has had this happen, something similar, that contacts me to see what has happened. I do not find any pathological that matches what has happened to me. I've been reading all the theories that I found for five months, and I'm convinced that it's been a leap between planes. Something, some decision made, some action that has been made, some things change. What, I don't know what that word is, muscius? Is that I'm in the same year, and because I have not jumped to another time, I'm the exactly, exactly the same. To explain to me if I have lost my memory five months ago and woke up having dreamed those five months with the explanation that everybody remembers me at that time. And I have done things that I am not aware I have done. Any more experiences? Please abstain gracefully and plead people who have who have the truth in their hands. This is very serious to me. Thank you. Could you imagine? I mean, this lady's distraught. You know what I mean? She's trying to figure out what the hell happened to her. I couldn't imagine waking up and then... Well, I mean, I'm going through it a couple times like... Little things are happening. I can't think of anything right now, but like in my life, like little things have happened where I'm like, why is this all of a sudden important? You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, my daughter-in-law actually freaked me out the other night. Um, (laughs) It really freaked me out because we were talking because my grandbaby's been sick off and on. And we're just trying to like figure out stuff and we're talking and she's like, well, chicken pox are are gone now. And for a minute, in my mind, it went like, we don't get shots for chicken pox anymore. I'm like, wait a minute. My mind just, I walked into her bedroom. I'm like, all right, Savannah. (sighs) My mind just blew up. We don't get vaccinated for chicken pox anymore. And she's like, oh, yeah, we still got, I was, like, freaked out for a minute there. I was like, wait a minute, when did this happen that we stopped getting vaccinated? She's like, no, 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 we still get vaccinated. I'm just saying chicken pox don't happen anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay. They do, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like stuff like that that's been going on in my world that I'm just like, I'm trying to think of something that it is. Um, like something that wasn't important in the past has become like very important now and it's like why is this important or vice versa, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I've never heard of anything like this before either, Sophie. I mean, I've heard of people like trying to figure, like having time lapses and that because I love a good story with a time lapse. Hi, Amanda. How you doing, Han? Welcome, welcome. Um, but I can't imagine waking up and your whole, you know, things are like Like being being with your ex-boyfriend that you broke up like six months ago. Hello. Can you imagine? (laughs) Could you imagine just waking up and being like, all of a sudden, your ex is in your bed and you're like, how where the hell did you come from? And he's like, what are you talking, and he's just as weirded out with you because you're like talking like, we broke up, what are you talking about? And he's like, what?
1: Because his timeline is you guys have been together the whole time, you know?
0: So talk about being distraught. I know I would be. All right. Are you ready for our next strange story? Did you know the Amazon had telegraphs? No, you know what threw me? All right, before I start that, because... Um, I'll be away from the keyboard, but listening. Okay, man, no problem, hon. Huh? Um, now, get this. Talk about going down a rabbit hole. I wish the pictures would come up, because... I found this great, and it's the one I'm on now, this great forum board. And talking about how Russia, and I was going to search Russian websites, Russia had power before we had, like they had lights um, in a chandelier, not candles actual lights in a chandelier before we had lights? Like, I'm weirded out by this. I'm like, oh my God, has our government really lied to us that much? Like, I'm thinking of, like, North Korea. Like, North Korea people don't realize that they're only this little continent, right? They're not allowed to see outside the world and see, like, how big we are to them or Russia is to them or... Anything like that, like they're completely mind formed, right? Um, I and then I read that, and I wanted the pictures to grow. I mean, I was scrolling Russian. It was bad. I was I was scrolling looking for these freaking lights before we had like electricity. Thinking, if I my my world is going to be blown up if my government lied to me about. You know
1: having electricity when we had electricity and and like other people had electricity and we did not have
0: electricity and like you know that's history right i mean i know they like i know our history has changed a lot that's a timeline difference too but our our history has changed a lot from when we were younger and and stuff like that right But something like that would really totally blow my mind, I think. So I am going down the rabbit hole, and I will let you know what happens, okay? (laughs) It's crazy, I know. I'm crazy, I know. It's all good. I already know this. My kids know it. We're good. (laughs) So, get this. In the Amazon, they had a telegraph, basically. Now it's not like what you're thinking, but so in uncharted domains of our world, the name James Campbell Beasley may not ring a bell for many. But Beasley was a mostly obscure British hunter and explorer who was born in London in 1874 and eventually educated at educated at educated at Eton and Oxford. Who, despite his relatively unknown nature, had a rather colorful life. He got into his head to make a bold expedition down to the Amazon rainforest of Peru, departing the New York City, um, departing from New York City to make his way to the jungle of Peru in 1913. That's a year before my father was born. Um, to raft nearly four thousand miles from Lima, a long it all the way from a source to Atlantic Ocean over the course of five months and make a myriad myriad of amazing discoveries in the uncharted wilderness along the way. Besides all the groundbreaking new footage and interesting items Beasley brought back with him, there was also rather strange curiosity of a tale that he relayed. He noticed during his expedition that the natives of the Amazon always seemed to know When he was coming, no matter how far or how fast he traveled, which piqued Beasley's curiosity to no end. When Beasley inquired as to how the natives are so quickly knew of his arrival without the locals explain or without air, the locals explained that the natives of the region have had long developed a complex system of communicating instantaneously for miles around, essentially a wireless system, which Beasley himself would write, it was in Jamara region that we first learned of this wireless system. We were met at the entrance of the village by the number of natives. They had evidently been expecting us. And when he asked how they knew that we were coming, they pointed to a crude-looking arrangement suspended between two two tree stumps in a horizontal bar. Through our Indian interpreter, we learned that this was a wireless apparatus for sending and receiving messages from the various tribes throughout Amazon Valley. The transmitter was a hollowed trunk of tree suspended from the pole so that the base was slightly off the ground. Inside, it had been arranged very much like our violins. All right, Sophie, take care, hon. Love and light to you as well, hon. Um, It was explained that the instrument was struck smartly with a small rubber hammer and a vibration was created that carried for miles over the hills. The receiver is very similar to the transmitter, except that it's placed in hardwood platforms, the base of the hollow tree trunk being grounded to the platform. When the message is struck in the neighboring village, sometimes 30 miles away, this receiver catches the vibration causing a jerky singing sound. I understand the sound can be read by members of the tribe and that This news of um, other happenings are told throughout the countryside. In this way, the Indians all along the route heralded our approach, and we were met by inhabitants all through the Putumayo, Napo, Beni, Madrid, the Diaz, and lower um, Akekela Valleys and the tributaries to the Great Amazon. We learned also from the Marathos and the Humbias tribes that this method of telegraphy had been used by the various tribes in that district for thousands of years. I don't know, I just found that interesting and I thought that you guys would find that interesting as well. It's, it's just wild. wild to know. I mean, when we think about people living in the Amazon, and, I mean, these tribes have lasted there for thousands. I don't know why we don't think of them being smarter or whatnot. They're survivalists, right, basically. But to hear somebody, like, having a, a system like that, that is so, it it was so cool to me, and I thought I'd share it with you. But we'll get back to the craziness now. I just, I don't know, it's a little thing that I thought I'd share with you. I thought it was wicked cool. Eh, you know, what do you know? (laughs) All right, here we go. How about, how would you love to have lunch in a different dimension? How do you think that would go for you? Well, lunch in a different dimension. The idea that there are similar or nearly identical realities that exist on a different level than ours, has thrived in concept as far back as there is a history. Olympus, Asgard, Magmel, when you know, these places of legend go by many, many names in many, many cultures. But they are the same, in fact, that they are like our world. But they are not our world. Paul Colizio is convinced that in 1995 he was one of those people. Colizio lived in Rhode Island and had been to Newport many times. The city that was home to the America's Cup yacht race for more than 50 years was only a 45-minute drive away. After all, he had been there so often he considered himself a regular.
1: One of his favorite places to
0: eat was Newport Creamery, that served everything from buttermilk pancakes to burgers to clam rolls. But on a day in 1995, he and his friend Kenny drove to a town of roughly 25,000 people for Kenny's dental appointment, and his world changed. After Kenny's appointment, they went out for lunch in this town he knew well. And found something unexpected. I parked my car in a familiar spot, and we walked down the famous America's Cup Avenue to Thomas Street. Or to Thames Street, Calizziot said. We walked past the Chelsea station, which he was familiar with, but Colizio was surprised to see a well slant downward and open to the street, that and it opened into a street that had escaped him during previous visits. I could see the ocean and all the sailboats in it, he said. I thought it was little wooden stands selling souvenirs. So we walked into a business district. Let's not hit anything there, Missy. So we walked into a business district I've never seen before, loaded with many shoppers. Very busy, a two-way street. I can still see the bus stopping. There were several restaurants in this newly found area. One caught Colizio's eyes. Newport Creamery. He didn't know there was another location in town. I said to myself, I've never seen this one before, he said. I've also, I was also ashamed to say this to my friend because I didn't want to look like an idiot. Colizio paid for his lunch with cash, then sat and looked at the window to take in the area as he ate his cheeseburger combo and a coke. I had a view of the ocean, watching people play Frisbee and walk their dogs, he said. It was so amazing, I couldn't wait to tell my wife. Everything else was normal. The restaurant looked like the other locations, the food was the same, the people outside were dressed normal, and the cars along the street were as they should be. Excited for his new find, Calutio picked up his wife from work that night. I told her wait until you see where I'm talking or uh, where I'm taking you Saturday night. Three days later, Calhoun and his wife went to Newport, turned down America's Cup Avenue to Thames Street, took a right at the shell sh- st- shell <laughs> <laughs> yeah say that three <laughs> times, Took a right at the shell station, just as he had done with Kenny. But wait, there was no wall that opened to a previous unknown street. I did not see the ocean, just a ball field, and an apartment building. So I drove around for half an hour and finally gave up. He tried to take his wife to the Newport Cremier twice more that summer. Then again in 97, then in 98, then in 99. And in 99, I walked every street side road of America's Cup Avenue and Thames Street. About three hours, and I found Nothing," he said. Callizio kept trying because he knew what he had experienced. That street, the shopping area, the restaurant—he was—he's like it was real. He bought his first computer in 2000 and did a web search for a Newport Creamy Restaurant, Creamery, Creamery Restaurants in Newport, Rhode Island. There were two listed. The one he had previously been to. And the one on Bellevue Ave. I said to myself, there is an answer. It's the one on Bellevue Avenue, Closewell said. With that conclusion was satisfactory for me for the years following. It wasn't until he found Google Street View that the specter of the missing restaurant appeared again. He looked up the Newport Creamery on Bellevue Avenue, and it wasn't the restaurant he'd been to in 1995. There was no ocean view, no shopping district, nothing familiar. He thought maybe Google Streets hadn't picked up the right angles. Clizzo went to the Bellevue Avenue Newport Creamery in 2012 and discovered Google had been correct. This wasn't the restaurant that he he finally spoke with Kenny about it. Finally, after all this year, because this wasn't the restaurant, he said to me he was also ashamed to say that the area was unfamiliar to him as well, that there was something strange about that day. So Calizo's curiosity had exploded in 2000s. So Kenny remembers being there, and seeing all this stuff as well. It wasn't just him having an experience. Calizo having an experience. His friend Kenny remembers it as well. So his curiosity ends up exploding in 2016, right? He begins to ask business people in the Newport about the 1995 location, but no one knew what he was talking about. He talked about with Newport City Clerk, who said there has never been two Newport creamier restaurants in town, and they never moved from another location. He's like, I told a core worker of mine a story. He worked with me in engineering maps. And he said to me that he was familiar with Newport. And I described my situation the best I could. The wall, the water. He said, I think I know what you're talking about, Calizzo said. He pulled it right up on the maps. And he can see the satellite view. And said, oh, my God, that's it. Calizzo had found the area he had once visited and eaten a cheeseburger combo and a Coke. But there was no business district, no wooden stands selling souvenirs, and no restaurants. Especially not the one he remembers. There was room for it, about a 100 yards of grass in front of some elevated homes. He went to Newport a week later, located the slim path, and saw where he and Kenny had walked toward the ocean. But it was hidden on the opposite side of the street. He walked towards the ocean and stood on the ground where the restaurant had been. A place where no restaurant has ever been. It appears we entered a vortex and we slung shot around the other side of the avenue where the wall and the ocean were on the left, Clizzo said. The district we walked into was another version of Newport, Rhode Island. I have investigated this for 21 years. The story is true. What happened to me? How did this happen? He don't know. Maybe in 1995, that was my reality. And I went through a vortex going back. And I'm on the other one now. And never made it back.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: Can you imagine going to a restaurant? Having a cheeseburger and a Coke. That's it. Hanging out with your buddy beautiful ocean. You're seeing this district where there's little shoppers, you know, where you can little stands to buy things, trinkets and stuff like that. Just to go back to and you're excited, right? You're like, I've never been here before. (laughs) And you're excited and you're like you go and talk to your spouse and be like, I can't wait for you to see this. I really want you to see this. And then going down there and it's gone. And you're like, what? How crazy is that? It's just strange as ever. And, you know, if you're listening on the podcast portion of this, come on over and and what's your take on it? Come on over to the YouTube side. What's your take on it? I want to know what you guys think about this. What happens? Is it just... A time slip bumps into each other, and boom, you're in somebody else's timeline. It's like that lady. Crazy. Baddy, baddy, crazy. All right. We'll do one more. And then i got to get going, because I'll be babysitting tonight. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the mysterious butterfly people of Missouri. Have you guys heard about this? On May 22nd of 2011, It time slip. Yeah, easily distracted. I, that's why I love a good time slip story. Can you imagine now being so excited So excited to tell somebody about this, to show them, and it being not there. Not ever there. It was never there. (laughs) That's crazy. So on May 22nd of 2011, the town of Joplin, Missouri, was visited by the specter of destruction and death. On this day, from out over the horizon swept the unstoppable force of a catastrophic E5 rated multiple vortex tornado. A monstrous force of nature that gained size at an alarming rate. As if feeding off the horror it inspired. At one point, unfurled in its talons to encompass approximately one mile across. With its sheer size and winds up to 200 miles per hour, it would completely obliterate much of the city, causing $2.8 billion in damage, killing 161 people and leaving over thousands more injured, becoming the seventh deadly tornado in US history, as well as the costliest in the country has ever seen. Its aftermaths, vast areas with rubble, trees and buildings were just gone. Lives were ruined. And the city and the state would never be the same again, yet, from within the whirl of deaths during the disaster, there comes one there comes strange reports of ethereal beings that came forward from some unknown place to reportedly help those in need, and which have become called the butterfly people of Joplin. Okay, Robert, I'm glad you're still hanging in. I hope you're liking these stories. The name itself comes from some of the descriptions of the various young children who supposedly encountered seemingly angelic beings often called butterfly people with multicolored wings and often surrounded by a shimmering illumination or orbs of light, although descriptions vary. One popular account that probably made the name stick comes from a a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl who was in a car with her father when the tornado came tearing through. Miraculously, although the vehicle was blown, blown clear off the road and tumbled over, the two occupants within were shaken but completely unharmed. The girl would later say that the butterfly people had been sitting in the car with them, And when she was told that no one else had been in the car, she insisted, No, Daddy, there were butterfly people in the car with us. Was this the mind of a very young child trying to, you know, describe angels? Or is it the product of stress at a young mind? Another hovering vehicular encounter with these beings happened when a young boy was riding in a truck with his father during the catastrophic During the catastrophe, yeah, when a car came soaring through the air towards them, seemingly bearing down on a direct collision course, but somehow managing to veer off at the last moment, so that barely missed them. The boy would later say that he had seen two very big angels hold the car back at the time and throw it to the side. Although only the boy had seen the mysterious figure, the father would admit that it seemed to be no rational reason for why the car should have not smashed right into them. There is also the account of the mother and the young daughter, who also was caught in the tornado in their car and managed to crawl out of the vehicle to take refuge in a nearby ditch. The tornado relentlessly approached, destroying all in their path, yet amazingly leaving the two uninjured. And the girl supposedly said to her mother, weren't they beautiful? Did you see how beautiful her wings were? When the mother told her daughter that there had been no one else there, the girl insisted that they had indeed been surrounded by winged angels with rainbow-colored wings as the tornado passed. Maybe angels, it definitely could be. Other accounts that happened right out in the open, such as that of a young boy about five years old, who had caught, who was caught outdoors when the tornado, tornado came lumbering through, and although there was much devastation to the area in the wake, he was found to be unharmed, with the debris around him arranged precisely, so that it just missed him. The boy would remain calm, that as the winds roared by him, he had said he had seen three glowing figures with butterfly wings walking towards him across the field and that whatever they stood, the flying debris would bounce off to the side or disappear. These three winged entities then surrounded him until the raging tornado passed, after which he described as smiling before vanishing into the air. A deputy sheriff, also apparently told a similar tale of a 4-year-old boy who was found wandering a field in the aftermath when asked where he had come from the boy said he had been at the saint john's hospital when the tornado had hit but the strange thing is that the, the boy was completely unharmed without so much as a scratch on him and despite the fact that the hospital had been pretty much leveled and that with numerous casualties when he asked how he'd gotten away and ended up in the field a full six miles from the hospital without injury, the boy simply matter of factly stated The angels brought me and sent me down here. And yet another such tale of a young boy caught outside with his father with winds so strong they supposedly whip, whipped the father's shoes ripped the father's shoes off. Yet they came out unscathed with the boy later saying that the butterfly people had been hovering over them throughout the ordeal. There are other stories like this as well, such as Clay and Melissa Morgan and their four children, Zoe, Emma, Eli, and Luke, Zoe being 12, Emma being 8, Eli being 5, and Luke being 4. The family lived in a mobile home in Joplin that was pretty much directly in the path of the rampaging tornado, which blew open the entire house and sucked out Clay and Morgan to send them flying out while still perched atop a mattress, like a water slide. Fortunately, no one was ser- seriously injured, but it was found that little Eli was missing. After a panic search, they found him uninjured around 20 feet from the house, oddly wrapped in a green rug, like a burrito. Although no one knows who wrapped him or even where the carpet came from, all Eli was able to remember that he had seen a man with brown hair hovering over him. Other such stories are harder to classify, yet they're every bit as strange and perhaps connected. One is the account given by Pastor Vermouth, who said that something very mysterious had happened at the church and that was hit by the tornado during a service. At the time, the congregation was quickly whisked off to the basement, but this did little in face of the breathtaking destructive power of the beast, and the walls of the church came crashing down all the way to the basement. Several people had been pinned under heavy rock and debris, and then it was reported that suddenly six large men had arrived to lift all the rubble off before saying that they had other people to dig out and leaving. They were not regular rescuers, because they were the actual rescuers arrived, they not only had seen no other people in the area, but also claimed that the collapsed walls would have been far too heavy for six men to lift. So who were these strangers? Were they the same guardian angels seemingly watching over the others? trolls are coming <laughs> the trolls so um and why why if they showed up to a church like that okay if they showed up in the church why didn't if they were in a church why didn't they show up as angels to everybody else they showing up to butterfly people but at the church they showed up, maybe that's how they had to, to get the, I don't know. Is that weird? I don't know. You would think that at a church they would show up as angels. I don't know. Okay, on to the next quip. Bizarre, quite bizarre is also the account of 14-year-old Emily Huddleston who was driving home from her brother's high school graduation when the fearsome tornado reared its head the vehicle they were in apparently tossed a few blocks was tossed a few blocks amazingly not hurting one except emily herself who was impaled through the leg with a sh- shard of debris to leave her hospitalized in the months of her recovery after the disaster emily was claimed to have the strange ability to attract butterflies would, would flock to her and land all over her. She said of this phenomenon, "There'll be, there'll be some that I can't get to leave me alone. I look at them as my angels. I really do. I think it's more of a sign that the angels were there that night. We're being watched over. That's interesting. There are countless tales." as these have been passed around in the days after this tragic disaster, with many of them taking an almost urban legend quality to them, yet they continue to persist and come out of the woodwork. Nearly everyone who was there has heard some miraculous tale of the butterfly people, almost always told by children, and it's become an ongoing phenomenon that a mural called The Butterfly Effect Dreams Take Flight was commissioned to muralist Dave Lowenstein and erected in the city downtown. That's beautiful. The purgiveness of these stories was summed up quite nicely in one article at the St. Louis Dispatch, which says, The stories about butterfly people coursed through Joplin, passing one one by one and then by many, tales describing what children reported seeing that Sunday night in May as the tornado bore down. The children said that the butterfly people protect them. These stories, tales of guardian angels, could be dismissed as children's fanciful imagination. But the stories have taken hold here, and as the months have slipped by, the adrenaline fading along with some of the terror, The stories have assumed a new, maybe even more important role. To understand why, you have to understand what this town of 50,000 went through and what it still faces. The tornado killed 161 people. It shredded entire neighborhoods. More than 900 homes were lost. Big Big box stores collapsed. The destruction was complete. The landscape rendered foreign. The tornado unleashed stories about death and unlikely survival. A teenager sucked from an SUV. A toddler plucked from his mother's arms. Houses that exploded in 200-mile-per-hour winds as families huddled in bathtubs and closets. For months, just about any place people gathered, the stories spilled out, including stories about the butterfly people. What are we dealing with here? Considering that as children who have reported these experiences, it's been speculated that they're merely a coping mechanism. I don't think so. I don't think it has to deal, you know, them doing that with stress and trauma. Yet, how is it that these people have so miraculously emerged unscathed to tell these tales? Ron was in the closet. (laughs) How do we explain the adults who were also witnessed in unexplained twists of luck that managed to help them avoid certain death in the face of their worst tornadoes in the country ever seen? Is this all coincidence mixed with a bit of luck, trauma, overactive imaginations of children? Or is there something more to it? Could it be that these entities really did come from somewhere beyond our understanding to help? And if so, were they angels? Aliens? Or what? And why did they appear only to children? Run! Where were you? You were in the closet when 69XXX.fun came in. But whatever the answer may be the stories of the butterfly people of Joplin have been persistent and given a sense of hope wonder and light in an otherwise horrific event in history. You're right Robert that that was a beautiful freaking story I'm not going to lie that was that was really beautiful. And if you're new to my channel you'll know that that uh like most of these stories I'll skim over, but I don't read them till I'm with you reading reading them. So, it, it like, I wanted to cry. <laughs> I still want to cry during that story. That was beautiful. Oh, you're painting your aunt's bedroom. See how you are? We had a troll, and Ron wasn't here. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I see how it is. But that was a beautiful story. I mean, I'm it sucks that that happened um in Joplin, but the angels, the butterfly people, how beautiful. Their wings had been must have been so beautiful. one second. (laughs) Oh, why does it gotta go there? Hopefully you liked those stories. I try to make it a mix, you know, of, like, basically creepy stories, then, you know, stories like that with angels and everything like that. I try to give it a, you know, some UFO, some paranormal, some cryptid, you know, you know how it goes. So with that being said, I'll roll the credits. Maybe. Considering it just wanted to crap out on me. There we go. I rolled the credits. Apparently for live though, there's, I'm not live, so. I didn't see anyone Ida went through, so I don't know. Yeah, this is it. I mean, it only went through... Um, This was a tornado in Joplin, Missouri. (coughs) Well, then I'm glad you weren't chatting, C. Payton. (laughs) I'm glad you weren't, you know, texting while you're driving. I'm glad you enjoyed them, though. I I hope everybody, hi, Joel. Very nice to meet you. Welcome, welcome. I try, I try to mix it up. I try to mix it up, and you know, think about because I like picking brains. I like, um, am I talking to myself? No, I'm not talking. My mic's working. I, uh, <laughs> I like picking brains. So therefore, you know. I try to mix up to see what you guys think about the stories. But interesting. Definitely interesting stories today. Definitely interesting stories. And my next go live will be Friday. Same time. Um, yeah. Same time. 2 o'clock p.m. my time. Whichever time is your guys' time. And I hope to see you then. And I forgot to say what I usually say last time on the show, but we'll be having more shows then. Ron, my my Discord's down in in the links, so if you got stories, put it down there, get a hold of me. You know how to get a hold of me. Um, all my links are down there. You know, you know how to get a hold of me. Ron's been one of my regulars since the beginning, which is what coming up on four years now. And, uh, yeah, so stick around Friday. will, like I said, two o'clock and, uh, yeah, I hope you have the rest to say a great rest of your day or night, wherever you are. With that being said, guys, I'll see you Friday. Thanks for hanging out with me, as always. Be safe and find something today that makes you smile with your eyes. Love you, guys.